0: Today's shear will begin on Daf Chof Aleph, three lines from the bottom. This shear might very well continue till Daf Chof Beis, Omid Beis, nine lines from the top. So be aware, even though we're in the Daf Yomi context, our shear today might very well continue till that point, very simply because we will find ourselves, when we get to Daf Chof Beis, in the middle of a Discussion which necessitates our continuing till Choph Beys, Omid base. Three lines from the bottom of the chof Aleph, where we begin. We open with a quote from the Mishnah. Hareini Nozir, Vishoma Havero, Vyomar, P. Kefiv, Kisaro, Hareze Nozir. person accepts upon himself a naziru's vow, and his friend hears him and says, And here we literally translate my mouth is like his, my hair is like his, and he thereby becomes a Nazir. On the side of the Gemara we have a topic heading which reads Kabolas Nazirus, the acceptance of a Nazirus vow, derech hazkorah Evorem, through the mentioning of different limbs or parts of the body. one we'll see is a one category is a limb a limb that is crucial for life a heart a brain and someone hears an individual accepting nizirus, and he would then say something to the effect of my heart is like his would that be nizirus? and then of course you have those Vorim uh, those limbs and body uh, appendages, She'ain, Haneshoma, Bahen, that are, though part of the body, they're not crucial for life support. Without these limbs, a person could continue living. So now, we continue with the Gemara, the second line from the bottom, with a question Mishum is that really so that just because he said that my mouth should be a nausea the Rashi explains that by saying P. it sounds as if he's saying my mouth is a nausea or my hair is a nausea would that make someone into a nausea Viraminu. and now we raise a source from the top ta- and we're at the top of omit bays which would seem to contradict that the source says yodi nazirah viragli nazirah if a person says my my hand should be a nazir or my leg should be a nazir he has said nothing uh at the top yodi nazirah likewise with regard to the mishnah ela p the nauseer if he didn't say p kapiv, rather he said my mouth should be a nausea my hair should be a nausea he has said nothing uh, uh, the uh, lips for example which constitute the borders of one's mouth, uh, one's lips or one's hair are not life-supporting uh, organs. Let's continue in the Teneic source. Roshi nazira, Kevedi nazira. ha nazir if he says, my, my head should be a-nazir, or my liver should be a-nazir. Well, that makes a person a-nazir. He will be a-nazir if he says that. Ze-haklal. The following rule can be stated. Dovor shaneshama tliyabo haraysa nazir. If a person declares a, a limb uh, of his body that is the upon which life depends, he will become a nazir. We glance at Rashi at the top. For amini vechul ze'akkal upevaseir lohavi dovor shaneshama tliyabo, a uh, hair or lips. Do not constitute a life based organ. The guy is the sayer of Lomayas, if he cuts off his hair, he cuts off his lips, he won't die. Therefore, we have to try to understand the Mishnah where he said, P and Sairi kesairo, he does become a nazir. How is that to be understood? The Gemara answers, Omar of the Omar hachi. What he said in the Mishnah is, p Visiri kisairo let me read that again. I skipped an important word. Yase p Kapiv Miyan. Let my mouth be like his mouth with regard to wine. And since he heard his friend accept Nizirus and he said I want my mouth to be like his mouth with regard to wine he becomes a nosier this, is, this uh, namely our Mishnah is in contrast to this Tanaic source that we quoted at the top where there was no nosier in the background in the source we read at the top the speaker was the initial speaker there wasn't a previous regular Naziris acceptor so if you pop out of the blue and say I want my hand to be a Nazir, you've said nothing. In the Mishnah there was a person who was a speaker. A person who had accepted upon himself the previously. You come along and say I want my mouth to be like his mouth with regard to wine or my hair like his hair, Miloguz with a hair cutting restriction miloguz means not to cut it and you're basing yourself on a nauseer who already accepted the zeros so then that be, is binding if you're an initial speaker and you say my hand should be a nausea, my leg should be a nauseer you've said nothing however under circumstances like that if you re- make reference to an aver shah nishoma a life essential limb. Then, even though there's no previous speaker, but if you say you you want your heart to be a nazir, you're essentially saying you want yourself to be a nazir. The Gemara continues again a quote from the Mishnah: Harini nazira Vishoma bai vani eno a woman initiated the nazirus she said i want to be a nazir the husband heard that and said vani and i too so he cannot undo the nazirus he can't he can't be mafer his wife's nazirus why that is so so as we go on in the Gemara, we'll touch on that more on the side we have a no say a topic heading and here you can see we indicate Ad Chof Me We have one topic that lasts till Chof <clears throat> Bezom hence the need for us to continue beyond the standard Daf Yomi quota in order to uh, avoid stopping in the middle of a discussion. The topic reads Baal meaker O'Kar Me'ikoro, when a husband absolves his wife of her vows. On the day that he heard his wife vow, so the Torah has a provision that a husband can remove, can erase, can void, uh, absolve her of that vow. When he does so, does that constitute an absolution from the very source, from the initial point that she vowed, or make his rock or is it a an absolution only from the day that he issues his objection to the vow his haforah you could have a situation where the woman had vowed uh, in private many days before uh, or in front of other people and the husband became aware of it many days later if upon his becoming aware of it that very same day that he becomes aware of it he is made for, so the vow that his wife took is absolved but as we said does it work retroactively to the point that she made the vow initially or is it an absolution from only the time of the absolution onwards there will be a practical difference between these two sides of analysis a uh, woman who had taken upon herself where a second woman or a second person after hearing the woman's vow. The second woman said Vani, Shishoma Rishona after she heard the first woman make the Nazir's vow. And then the husband of the first woman absolves her of the vow. Ma Din what will the law be regarding that second woman who had said vani? If you say that the absolution works in a retroactive fashion to the very beginning, that would mean that the initial woman had no vow. It was uprooted, it didn't exist. And when we say it didn't exist, in halachic terms it didn't exist. It may very well be that she observed her vow for the several days until the husband heard of it, until the husband got wind of it, nevertheless the side of analysis says that the husband uproots it from its very origin, that means in halachic terms, there was now retroactively no vow. If there was no vow so there was nothing for the second woman to attach herself to to link upon and hence the second woman would be without a Nazir's vow as well if however you say that it's Megis Gaius, that the husband's absolution works only from the time of hearing of the vow onwards, and the friend had linked herself to the vow earlier, so the linkage works, it binds the second woman, the second woman remains bound, and the fact that the husband of the first woman (coughs) um, uh, absolves her of the vow uh, from from now onwards, that's uh well that's a private matter between the uh, the husband and the wife, or more specifically, the first woman from this point on has no vow, but the second woman who had linked into the first woman's vow previously, she remains bound. So now that's the opening uh, question of the Gemara. So you take note of the fact that when we turn to the Gemara text, you notice a long question marking. Following that, you'll notice triangles. If you skim uh, skim down the page, you'll notice triangles appearing in two different directions. And under our uh, mivne heading, we explain the triangles. But even before we look at the mivne, scroll ahead or turn ahead to davchov bays. You see on Khof Beis, on an aleph, the uh, triangle marking scheme continues. Again, you'll see them appearing in two different directions. This discussion, as we mentioned earlier, continues to daf base on base, on daf on the uh, our now daf now on the side the mivne, where you see the triangle. We highlight the expression tosh map, with the point facing up. Le kivun me'akar okar, these will be attempts to show that the husband's absolution is a retroactive one, and the inverted triangle le kivun me'gizgais. An attempt to show that it's only from the point of absolution onwards that the uh, vowel is uh, erased. When you notice the double underline, you'll see that the word le'oilom is featured, or later on, a, the equivalent thereof when on uh, Choph Bezim and Aleph. The double underline represents d'chiah, a Rejection of whatever uh, was trying to be proven. Now, the Gemara, hopefully, the Sukhi has been mapped out. When a husband is fear as the Mishnah said, regarding A case where the woman initiated the vow and the husband said Vani, we said he cannot be mefer. Here the Gemara is opening up with a general question: When a baal is mefer, is he mefer in a retroactive fashion? Me'akokar means uproots it from its very source. Or yidil mop me'gis gaiyis, or possibly he cuts it off from the point of absolution onwards, but retroactively uh, there uh, there is no. we, We do not say there's absolution in a retroactive fashion. What practical difference would there be to this? A woman who had accepted Nazirus, a second woman, her friend comes and says, I too. And the husband of the first woman comes along and is Mayfir, he absolves his wife of her vow if you say that the absolution is retroactive is uprooting it from its source the second woman is also then released from her vow if there was no f- first vow then there was no there was no vow upon which the second woman could have linked herself if you say however the absolution is from the point of absolution onwards but not retroactively, then Iyi Ishtaroi, the first woman, the, uh, the, uh, the wife, is released from this point onwards. Asira, but the second woman, who had linked into a previously existing vow, remains bound. Mai. So the question is, what is the Din? Toshma. We introduce a source um, in fact, our Mishnah, this, uh, the quote we saw before, and this is an attempt to show that the husband would be mayfair, be absolving in a retroactive fashion. Toshma hareni Nizirah, a woman accepted upon herself Niziris, Vishoma v'ani, and the husband heard it and he said, "I too, ain'o yochol lahafir." The husband cannot. Uh, absolve that vow by the husband saying Vani so he in effect is uh, confirming the wife's vow and saying an I too um, if he were to be let us say successful in this if you were to say he could be made for, you know what in, a, in effect would be happening he would be undoing his own vow and a person cannot do that because by Undoing the wife's vow, he's in effect undoing his own. So we ask as we point out the is, if it were so that a husband can undo uh, or when he undoes it, he undoes it only from the time of hearing of it, from this point onwards, only from the point that he issues the absolution onwards. But not retroactively. Leifir let the husband be his wife's vow, and he will remain bound. After all, he said vani before there was any absolution. The wife's vow was still intact. That is, of course, if you, if you would have accepted or taken the position of balmeigas gaius. But you see, he cannot absolve her of the vow. Shma Baal me'akar okar this therefore shows us that the husband's absolution is one that is retroactive and that would mean that in his absolution he would be uprooting the wife's vow from, the, from its very origin and if that, were take, if that were to have happened he would have in effect been undoing his own vow and a person cannot undo one's own vows we have the uh, of says Lo that one cannot undo one's own vows, but others can undo it, one approaches a Chochum, a Baisdin, they can undo a person's vows. So from the fact that the Mishnah teaches that a husband who had said Vani would linked into his wife's Nazirus, the fact that he cannot absolve is an indication to us that absolution in general works in the retroactive fashion. That's not the analysis. I will tell you that in general, absolution is effective only from the point it is made, not retroactive. Ubedinu de And technically speaking, this uh, husband should have been able to be mefer Here, however, he cannot for a technical reason. Vahinu time de lo motzi Here, the reason he cannot absolve since the husband said and I too it's as if he confirmed her vow when a husband confirms his wife's vow so it becomes we'll say totally binding can the vow be undone uh, any uh, from that point onwards well one way is the woman could go to a chokom or a basin to have it undone there's another possibility and that is what the Gemara says now if the husband would approach a chacham on his own trying to reverse or erase the hakoma, the, his confirmation of her vow he can still undo it and I believe that this is true only if it's all done on the same day that he hears the vow. In other words, if a husband hears, his wife, hears of his wife's vow, confirms it, and then on that same day goes to a chacham to have it undone, so it can be undone. V'yilo, lo motzimeifer. If not, the husband after having confirmed it, he cannot uh, absolve it so just to review the point in general a husband's hafora might very well be from the point of absolution onwards in the mishnah scenario where the husband had heard his wife's vow and and said vani and i too i too want to be a nazir he cannot be mayfair only because his statement of vani is equal to the confirmation a hakoma of his wife's vow and that prevents the husband From a straightforward hafara, Shma. we now introduce a Tanaic source, which will uh, initially indicate to us that a husband is for only uh, from absolution onwards and not retroactively. The source says, "Hoisha shenodra b'nazir, a woman accepted nazirus ve'frisha as behemta." and set aside the uh, animal required for the nazir sacrifice at the end of the Nazirus period a nazir must bring sacrifices so she set aside the required sacrifices and afterwards uh, after she set aside the animal she her husband was mefir the neder the nazirus if the animal belonged to him, so the animal goes free to graze as a regular, mundane animal in the herd. If the animal belonged to her, the korban chattos amongst the different uh, offerings that a nozer brings is a sin offering. That is in addition to the Oylop and the Shlomim that a Nazir brings. The Salka Baal Meka Okar If you were to think that the husband's absolution is retroactive, meaning that there really was no vow to begin with, then the uh, animal, though owned by the wife, that she had dedicated as a chatos, should go free. Should go, return to being a mundane, non-sanctified animal. El olav, sh'ma mino make his gaius. So, rather, it must be that we should conclude that the husband's absolution is only from the point of hearing of the vow onwards. And since that's the case so the uh, korban hatos that was set aside as a hatos it's now not necessary so it as uh, as the rule goes it is to die i'll tell you that in general a husband's annulment of his wife's vow is retroactive You'll ask, well, what about the behemoth, the chathos? Why doesn't it go free? Why doesn't it become, we'll say, unsanctified? For hainu taimah. The reason the sin offering is set aside to die, kevon kapora, since the woman needs atonement. You'll ask, why does she need atonement? Well, the husband absolving as we're saying now, even though it's uprooting it from the origin, technically speaking, till he issued his absolution, she had deprived herself from wine. She didn't know he was going to absolve it from the from when she made the vow. When she made the vow, she was serious about it. And she was observing Nazirus. True halachic Nazirus is uprooted from the origin, but on a practical basis she had deprived herself from wine and we have learned in the past based on the opinion of Rebozer Kapor, that self-imposed deprivation when you're depriving yourself from uh, items that are ordered, that are otherwise allowed is something that's considered sinful so she committed a type of sin by being Mitzayar Atzma by Restricting herself from wine, and therefore havis kechatos shemesu Since we're dealing with a woman that needs atonement in the, we'll say in the general sense of the word, as opposed to uh, true uh, nazirus atonement, because we said that the nazirus vow was absolved, but she needs atonement, and a korban chatos, a sin offering, as its name indicates is for atonement purposes, a rule that's based on an, uh, an oral tradition, halacha uh, there are certain cases that a sin offering is set aside to die. So here we have a case of a, an animal that was set aside as a sin offering, and the owner, in, in a manner of speaking, will say, uh, is or they say well this case is parallel to the case of an owner of a of a sanctified sin offering that the owner died that's called chata shemei suba in this case the owner in in vis-a-vis the need for bringing it i.e the nausea vow became non-existent so it's a it's like chata shemei Subala ukimiri and we have an oral tradition the chata shemei subalea tomus that Sin offerings whose owner died, the animal is set aside to misa, to die. Not to be used as a sacrifice, nor is it going to return to its chulin, mundane status. Toshma, again, we try to prove, and in this case, like we did in the previous attempt, try to prove that the husband is megizdayez. And we didn't point this out earlier, but you can see the markings that we've been using. We have <coughs> dashed underline and a squiggle underline. Uh, the dashed underline highlighted what uh, what is not going to be proven initially. The squiggle underline <coughs> highlights that which we think we've proven. So that in the first triangle with the point facing up, you can see shortly thereafter there was a squiggle underline Shma Minor Baal in two. And now in three, you'll see the squiggle underlining is Shma no that Baal Megis So we uh, continue now with triangle number three. Toshmao Isha Shinoj for Hoy Shosyayan, mason, a woman who accepted Nazirus and Uh, Was uh, drinking wine and defiling to the dead, like doing everything wrong. This is a Mishnah that will appear on Dav Gimel. The Mishnah basically seems to be telling us the obvious. Hey Chidomi, what are the circumstances behind this Mishnah? Quote, If it's a case where the husband didn't absolve her of the vow do I need to waste, so to speak, a tenaic, uh, source for information that is so obvious? It would be obvious that a woman who became a Nazir, no vow absolution, and she went ahead and violated all the rules of Nazir, she's subjecting herself to to getting lashed, the 40 lashes. Rather, it's obvious then that the quote we just saw is a case where the woman's husband absolved her of the vow that he was may fear it if you were to think that the absolution is a retroactive one why would she be subjected to the 40 lashes there was no vow so it must be that the husband's absolution is only from the point of the actual absolution onwards. But prior to that, there was a vow and she was violating it. That's why the Mishnah says subjected to the forty lashes. The Gemara rejects this. I can tell you that in general, that a husband, in fact, does uproot it from its origin. And the quote we just saw was yes the obvious the the baal was not mefer and she went ahead and violated her naziris you'll know, ask why do you why does the mishnah teach me the obvious it was in effect a lead up to the continuation of the mishnah which says as follows hey for law by law and that is the reason we have in the ratio, the contrast there was no hafara in the ratio now, the Sefer speaks about a woman who had vowed to be a nizirah, and the husband did absolve her of the vow the Hilo Yodosh and she was unaware of the husband's absolution and after his absolution and I emphasize after his absolution actually let me reverse that that's unnecessary at this point simply he absolved her of the vow and she was drinking wine and and uh, defiling herself to the dead she is not subject to lashes so that you have a a woman who might very well have been violating her naziris from the outset that's why I wanted to uh, retract what I said initially. She had been violating from the outset. The husband absolved her of the vow. She is not subject to lashing. Now because we have the sefer that speaks about the husband being meferb, we continue at the top of base Tona, Nami, Reisha, Sopheges. The Reisha spoke about, Being lashed, we'll say, in contrast to the Seifel case, where it said where the husband absolved her, she's not subject to the lashing. Therefore, the ratio speaks about a case where the husband had not absolved whatsoever, and she is subject to the lashing. There's no, um, say, Kiddish in the ratio per se, but as we said, it was taught only as a, we'll say, a lead up and a way of contrasting it with the sefer in the sefer though we have a major hiddish and that is that th- you have a case of a woman vowing to be a nazirah and she went ahead and violated the nazirah <clears throat> but if the husband absolves her of it she is not uh, subject to any lashing and that is a result of the husband's haforah which in fact could very well be and the real manifestation of is the case of the woman who was violating her nazirus before the husband actually issued the absolution he subsequently issues an absolution and we say that she's not subject to any lashes which is a clear demonstration of the husband's retroactive powers in absolution the Taishris adds a uh, an, another point, and that is that the Seifa has significance in the sense that it's here to the exclusion of the opinion of another Tana, Rebbe Huda, who says that if a woman had vowed and the husband was Mefir, she is subject to rabbinic lashings makis mardis, meaning even though the husband's abilities are retroactive but she's something wrong happened as far as the woman is concerned, so even though on a technical Torah level nothing wrong took place the rabbis according to Rebbe Yehuda insist on her getting lashed this source uh, which appears before Rebbe Yehuda this source says she does not get even the rabbinic lashing. Toshma. So here you can see a fourth attempt, a triangle with, with the point facing upwards, again an attempt to show that the um Hafora is Meakir Okar, is one that is uh retroactive. So at the top line of Khofbez aleph Tashma Isha, Shinodra, Venazir, the the a woman who had accepted Nazirus, became defiled, and then the husband absolved her. The standard Nazir that becomes defiled brings three sacrifices a Chatas, an Oila, and an Osham. An Osham is an animal offering the uh, in this case the khatas and the oila are bird offerings the isaka baal megis if it were so that the husband's absolution is only from the point of absolution onwards nami <coughs> while this woman should then bring the sa'of uh, as well after all you have a woman that had been in a zero and became defiled so what do you want to say that there is an uprooting from the very outset so let her not bring the sin offering either just like the oil so she is released from let her be released from the sof as well the Gomorrah's response is that i will tell you in general the husband is or okar, uproots it from the source you're asking why is the chatas of brought, hochinami, In this too as we've explained before uh, veho money, the Hokhinami means in fact the husband is oiker from the very source and the reason for the chatas sin offering being brought here is because this is in accordance with Rebbe Kapoor, who is featured now in this upcoming source that we referred to earlier, that holds the mere uh, self-imposed restraint from allowed things is problematic, is sinful. So in that sense, because of the sinfulness aspect of her behavior, there is room for a sin offering uh, in this scenario Desanya, Akapur, Ribi, the great Reboloser a caper Omer ma al the posik makes reference to the uh, sin having been uh, committed by the Nazir what sin did the Nazir uh, commit that the Pesach has to make reference to a sin. Because he restricted himself from wine, he is called a sinner. From this we can uh, suggest Kalvachomer logic. Mind you, the Torah refers to the Nazir as a sinner and what did he do? He restricted himself from wine. He didn't restrict himself from, uh, from hamburgers or from, uh, from cake. And yet, for the self-imposed restriction of wine alone, he's called a sinner. Kama Someone who restricts himself from all things, all the more so, they would be termed a sinner. So with that... In mind, we understand why, even though the husband uproots from the very origin, why the source says that she brings a Chatos Ho'of. We continue in the Gemara, Toshma Desanya Behedya. Here we have what uh, appears to be a, we'll say, a clear uh, proof that the husband is Megiz Gayez. Shenodra a woman accepted. Nazirus, her friend hears it and says, I too will the And the husband of the first woman comes and absolves his wife's uh, vow. He Muteras, the wife, is free, the And the friend remains bound now uh, according to the Bach so we continue reading Rabbi Shimon Oimer we skip the bracketed section momentarily Rabbi Shimon Oimer if the friend says I am like you then by the fact that the friend uh, we'll say patterned herself we used to use the term carbon copied herself. After the first woman with the absolution enjoyed by the first woman, the second woman's vow would also be released. From the source, especially from what the Tanakama said, we see very clearly "Shma no Baal Megiz Gaiiz. We see from here that the husband's Absolution powers are from that point onwards, but not retroactively. And that having been said, we understand why Chavirto asura, why the second woman remains asura. We continue at the top of chof beis and we have to point out that the next uh, the next couple lines of Gemara, nor as the point of the next Gemara is really the subject of quite a bit of, we'll say. Um, Uh, disagreement amongst the Gemara commentaries we're going to choose one approach uh, and that approach we will see together when we learn the Rosh commentary that having been said though one it should be aware that there are other approaches before we get into the Gemara text itself we have a topic heading and it reads as follows uh, we have in brackets a statement and then afterwards Misugya Is there room to conclude romi Barhama's question from our uh from our topic? Now what was romi Bahama's question? So in the brackets If a person is sitting in front of a Mutter substance, a, a permitted item, let's say sitting in front of a loaf of bread, in Hebrew we refer to that as a kikar a kikar lechem and the person says I consider upon myself this kikar lechem I, I consider this kikar lechem as besar zevach as the meat of a shlomim sacrifice you, you ask what's a shlomim sacrifice so in English translations it's, it's termed a peace offering that doesn't tell us too much about what a shlomim is, but on, in, in practical terms if philosophically of course it does describe what it is, but in practical terms a, a shlomim is a sacrifice that is, first of all it's considered kachim kalim, it's a low level sanctity uh, sacrifice when you sanctify it so you're not allowed to benefit from it, when it's slaughtered and the blood is sprinkled on the altar so, the meat is then something that you are allowed to benefit from. You, you eat it. That's in contrast to uh, an Olaf sacrifice, where, which is completely burnt. So, a shlomim sacrifice has a point in time prior to the sprinkling of its blood. It is per- prohibited. After the sprinkling of the blood, it is permitted. When we say permitted, it means the owner, in addition to the who get their portion, the owner is entitled to eat from it. Now, Romi Barchamo's question regarding the loaf of bread that I deem like a korban shlomim, what is my intention in that statement? Am I paralleling the loaf of bread to the korban shlomim at its origin meaning before it was slaughtered simply I'm comparing the loaf of bread to the carbon shlomim at the point that the shlomim was sanctified one I guess that's one side of the analysis or am I paralleling it to the way it is at the end now meaning allowed that you're allowed to eat it and hence the the bread would not become prohibited. If I say that the bread is being parallel to the Korban Shlomim at its outset just like the Shlomim at its outset is something that I made prohibited through my neder or through my, my sanctification, I'm now saying that the bread is like that and I would not be allowed to eat the bread. If, however, I'm comparing the bread to the Shlomim as it is right now, so there's nothing Wrong with the shloman right now. I'm allowed to eat it. Likewise, the bread. I'd be allowed to eat. We got off uh, the topic of uh, naziras uh, there for a little while. So the job that is upon us is to somehow relate uh, our Sukya to Romi Barhamad. So now the Gemara at the top. Marzutra braid Rav Mori Omar. Hi our discussion with the Nazirus, we had the woman accepting upon herself Nazirus her friend uh, linking into it, the husband coming along and absolving and we said that the uh, friend remains prohibited so we say this hainu Rumi barhamo. that means with our Sukya having been presented we can then attempt to Resolve Rami Barhamaz's question. The boy Rami Barhamo Hare Olai mahu. A person says that uh, a, a loaf of bread or whatever is upon me like the meat of a shlomim sacrifice. What's the result? Kimatfis inish. When a person imposes a vow, when he attaches or uh, parallels an item to something that was sanctified bi'ikorah matfis, odilmo b'tsananah matfis. Is he paralleling it to the sanctified item at its outset? Or, b'tsananah, without getting into the etymology, it means to the sanctified item at its end. And we had uh, learned the case of the nazira and the friend. Let us conclude that the hatfosa is to the Korban's origin, in other words I'm saying that I want this loaf of bread to be like the Korban when it was initially sanctified, and why why do I want to conclude that because we found that the friend of the woman in the case of the Nazirus she remained Asura even though the husband of the first woman absolved her of the vow why does the re, why does the friend who had said Vani remain asura? Because when she attached herself, that's like our case of attaching the bread to the sacrifice. When the friend attached herself to the woman's nazirus, she was attaching herself to the woman's nazirus at the very outset. <clears throat> and when we spoke about the husband and his absolution, that's his guy. As we said, we said that's only from the absolution onwards but the friend's uh, vow va'ani, the friend who had said I too she was attaching herself or linking herself to the to the Nazir's vow of the first woman at its origin so that is what Marzutra of Mori at the top of this omud is suggesting that with our Sukya we can conclude Romy Barhamas' question regarding the Hareolai Kipsarzevach uh, Shlomim situation. As we continue, you'll notice Roman numerals 1 and 2 these represent two Lushonos, two versions of how to continue in the Gemara. The uh, double underline uh, we've noted on the side Havlotas hahevdel ben Lushonos so at this point, we're going to highlight the difference between the two versions. The first version, we've, we've double underlined mi domi, meaning how can you think to conclude Romi Barhama's question from our sugya? And the Gemara will tell us that in our sugya, which you can see we've highlighted using a marking, a volcano shape around the word hocha a few lines from now. Here, by the case of the women that vowed, it's clear that the woman who said Va'ani, uh, she had to have uh, attached herself to the origin, to the source, to the beginning. Why? Because you have a case of the original woman's vow having been absolved by the husband. The. Uh, the fact that the Tanaic source tells us that the second woman remains ulcer is very clear that she was attaching herself to her friend and her vow at the point of origin. However, in the case of Romi Bahama's question, the person paralleling the loaf of bread or the hector item. To the Besar Shlomim it's not clear what his intention or what the results should be because in the case of Besar Shlomim, even though true, before the Zrikah that's clearly Usr, even after the Zrikah even after the meat becomes mutterfew to eat it though has upon it restrictions you can't Eat it outside of Yerushalayim. You can't eat it wherever you want. It has sanctity to it, and therefore, if I'm paralleling a loaf of bread to the shloma meat, it could be that I have in mind the shloma meat after the Zrika adam, but with regard, but I'm looking at the meat with with regard or emphasizing in my mind its sanctified characteristic. There the restrictions that still exist upon it. So therefore there is room to think that when I'm paralleling the bread to the shlomim, it's bit to it as it is even at the end. And as I said, there's room to consider, to analyze, maybe there still is an element of restriction there. So for our purposes, what Marzutra Brader of Mori was suggesting that from our sugya with the, the, the woman and her Nazira vow and the second woman attaching herself and finding that the second woman remains ulcer, even though the husband annulled it that doesn't uh, show me with uh, total clarity what the case would be that Romi Barchamo had featured with the paralleling to the Psarzevashlamin that's what Roman numeral number one highlights. Roman numeral number two says, "Oh, uh, you were you Ra, Marzutra was saying, let's let's conclude or we can resolve Rami Barhamas' question from the women and the vows. Uh, the Nazirus, yes. And you can see we've double underlined Hainu, the Rami, the, where the Hainu word appears. Hainu means, yes, this is just like the issue Romi Bahama was raising and let us therefore conclude his question that the woman when she says vani that is uh, the person when he says that I want the the bread to be like the Besar he must be referring to it the shlomim at its outset. Now let's read that in the Gemara Me dummy Roman numeral 1, as we said, shows us that you can't be so sure as Marzutra was that the issue of Romi the, Barchamo, uh, the, the parallel to P'sar Zevach Shlomim, can be resolved from the case of the Nezirus. Hossam Kevon Diyom like Zevach in the case where someone said that he wants this loaf of bread to be upon him like Shlomim meat, Ha'fagav in Domo, even after the blood is sprinkled, motzi ochile bachutz. Do you think that you can eat it wherever you want, mikdash It has sanctity to it. You can't eat it bachutz, meaning outside Yerushalayim, just wherever you want. So therefore there is room to think that when a person parallels the bread to the b'sar Zevach shlomim, he might have in mind the, the Zevach Shlomim as it is right now at the end with its sanctity element still attached to it Avol ha'cha in the case of the women and the nazirus there if you were to think that the second woman is paralleling her nazirus to the first woman at the end for law by law the husband already had at that point had absolved the first woman of her vow so the second woman and the ruling of the mishnah that the second woman's vow remains intact we say the second woman is Asura there it's clear that that second woman had been attaching herself to the first woman's vow at its origin at ikora. so with that having been said we see that the Case of Kibzarel like Kibzarziv Ashlomim isn't so similar to the case of the uh, women and the Nazirus. Iko Diamri Amri. Another approach is Heinu the romi Barchama vada The Tosus at the top says Iko Di Amri Heinu the Rami Barchama Vaday. Iko le Mivshat Baya De Yes, we can. Con- we are able to conclude Rami Barhamas' question from the Baisa before. And don't say what we said in Loshan number one in the first version uh, that there is some distinction for the not every distinction must be made, and therefore disregard the distinction and rather look at the parallel and can therefore conclude Rami Barhamas' question we indicated before that we were following the Rosh's approach to the Sukhya, the Rosh adds another dimension of understanding so before we conclude let us learn the Rosh together uh, only a section of it, from the beginning Rav Zutra Braid Rav Mori Omar Hainu De Rami Barchamo The boy Rami Barchamo Hare Kipsar Zifei Shlamim Mahu Pirush Rabbeinu Tam the Rosh uh, the is quoting from Rabbeinu Tam uh, we didn't mention uh, earlier, but there's a very long toysvis that appears that's relevant to this sugya on Chofbeis Omed Aleph the lower half of the page there's a very long toysvis that uh, deals extensively with this particular sugya. but for the time being, we're, we're uh, going to be following the, the Rosh's presentation of Rabenu Tam. The Rav Zutro Bo liyashev, Rav Zutra's purpose in this Gemara is to resolve the low Tikshi Hanoch Tarti Braysez Ahadodi. We should not leave our Suki with what would otherwise appear to be a contradiction in Tanaic sources. The Tanaic sources referred to earlier. Umitokach and with our resolving of the sources, Tikshot by the Rami Barchama. Usfirole the Kulu Tanoi Savri, all Tanoi really hold Baal, Merker, okar. Kidemuchuchuch Bresa Kamaisa, that a uh, Baal, a husband, when he absolves, he absolves from the very outset. Now, here, what we did not mention earlier, and we did not attempt to reflect this with our markings either is that Marzutra contrary to what we said second, where we said at the end of Omed Aleph the Gemara had come had appeared with a resounding conclusion that Abal may is Gaius according to Marzutra and the Rabbeinu Tam's approach don't say that don't come out with a resounding conclusion that a Baal is Megiz Gaius but rather all Tanoim will agree that a Baal, a husband, uproots from its origin <laughs> from the fact that the earlier Tanahic source said that we saw the woman who had vowed to be a Nozir and she became defiled the husband annulled her vow. She doesn't bring the Ulusov. Why is she not bringing the olasov? Because the vow was uprooted from the outset, and whatever defilement she did was not in violation of enezirus. And we also saw in the in the earlier source that if you have a woman who had. Uh, vowed to be a Nazirah, and she was violating the Naziras, but the husband had been made it. She doesn't, we saw this at the bottom of Hof Aleph she's not subject to lashings. Well, all of all of these sources indicate that the uprooting is, that is, the baal's the, HaForah, the absolution, is an uprooting from the outset. Fafilu Severas Braysabas Raissa, and even so the last source that we saw at the bottom of Omed Aleph of Chav Beis Aleph the Haver Asura the friend who had said Vani, she remains prohibited Mishum D'Bi'i Korah Komathis The Afopi Shehofer Ba'la so here's the Kiddush that even though there's an uprooting of the vowel, the friend when she attached herself to the Nazirus, and maybe this is the the fact, the, the major factor, the point of difference, is that here you have a second woman who is expressing her interest to accept upon herself Nazirus. So that even though the first woman's husband uprooted the vow from its source, the second woman has her Nazirus remaining upon herself because she wasn't uh, speaking for nothing she had an intention to accept a nazarus vow which she did she did uh, uh, before the husband ever annulled so since you're dealing with a second woman and I will say a personal uh, nazarus vow that remains even though the husband of the first woman was Mayfair let us conclude Romy's question that appears in the first chapter of Masechas of, uh, Nidorem. There was lying in front of a person some meat, shlomim meat, after the zrika and dam, the Omar. And someone said, I want these fruits, we used the example before of a loaf of bread, to be like the meat. The meat. That right now is shloam meat after the zrika Sadam, after the blood sprinkling mi amrino am beikur kamoshe l'tfne zrika komatfis Fosir. Do we say that the intention of the speaker is to compare the fruits to the meat before the zrika and the fruits would be osir, would be prohibited? Ol dilmo b'tzineno komatfis kamoshe hoya ato liachaz rikos shnitsteininu iser. The holachlo komatfis or is the intention to compare the fruits to the uh, shloma meat now, after the uh, prohibition has cooled off, so to speak, and is gone, and the fruits would be allowed. From the case involving the women and the vows, let us conclude that the intention of paralleling the fruits to the meat is the meat at its outset, just like the woman who had said Vani is paralleling herself to the first woman at her outset when she made the Naziru's vow. So the point that we saw in the rush was the let's say the role of Marzutra Bredirav Mori in this sukya was actually to uh, present a new look at the sources that we saw before. Namely that all the sources would hold that the Baal is oiker me'ikora. And in that sense, Marzutra is then differing with the conclusion the Gemara had reached at the bottom of Chof Beis an Aleph, where we had said, Shema me me'gizgayas. With that, we conclude our Shior for today.